0: Jeffrey's been struggling for years and he doesn't understand why. He wants to be motivated and disciplined to do his work. To go to the gym and eat clean. But he keeps making the wrong decisions. He keeps choosing to eat the junk food even though he wants to lose weight. He keeps procrastinating even though he wants to be productive. It's like he's fighting an uphill battle. He's swimming upstream. If only he knew that there was a real reason why he was struggling. Adonis Adonis struggled when he was younger too. Just like Jeffrey, sometimes Adonis would procrastinate when he was sent forward into the trials and tribulations of his tribe. Adonis faltered. He slipped, he fumbled, he was lazy. But slowly and surely, he figured it out. He realized that it was not the physical world that was causing this. It was the mental. And so Adonis vowed to improve his mental health. I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is the single most important video that you will ever watch on YouTube. It deserves your absolute full attention. And that's something that we don't really give these days. By now, you've already scrolled down to the comments and your attention is so dispersed. If you want this video to change your life, if you want your life to change forever after watching this video, give it your full attention. That means no scrolling down constantly to the comments to look for more dopamine, no checking your phone like a Jeffrey, no opening up other tabs and scrolling down to the other suggested videos. Because what you will learn in this video, you have never been told before and i'm being serious when i say that the information in this video will save your life and it might be the knowledge that you need to this little fucking like ruining my mental health And it might be the knowledge that you will eventually need to pass on to one of your male friends who needs it in his darkest days. I'm gonna tell you to do something that you've never seen a YouTuber say before. I want you to dislike this video right now. Literally scroll down and dislike this video right now. My intention is you follow the rest of this guide, you give it your full attention, you try your absolute best with the practical steps that you're gonna listen out to. You're gonna significantly improve your mental health within just two weeks, you're gonna have the best mental health you've ever had in your life. When you experience that huge increase in mental health, Come back to this video and change your dislike for a like. If you're watching this video weeks or months or years into the future of when it was uploaded, and this video is still circling around the YouTube algorithm, that means it's effective. That means that hundreds, maybe thousands of young men have found that this guide has really helped them. They literally took the time to come back and change their dislike to a like. There's one major thing that you need to understand about the problems that you're experiencing. Procrastination, you know, you want to study, but you just can't seem to motivate yourself enough to do it. You lack discipline. You've been struggling with some of the habits like Exercising or no FAP or eating clean. Like you really wanted to lose weight, you really want to eat clean, but your brain for some reason just keeps choosing the bad option, even though you don't even want to do that. You keep overindulging in, in YouTube, in porn, in video games, in social media. You're struggling with negative thoughts and you just feel quite bad. If you've been experiencing all these problems, you've been looking at it the wrong way and no one has explained this to you yet. These problems that you're experiencing are not actually problems, they are all symptoms of the real problem. These things, procrastination, a poor diet, lack of motivation, lack of discipline, they're all symptoms of poor mental health. Everything that you're struggling with right now is not a singular problem. It is actually just a symptom of the biggest problem in your life, which is poor mental health. If we improve your mental health, then all of these symptoms slowly start to dissipate by themselves. Because think about it, you've tried to focus on these things. You've tried to really clean up your diet. You've tried to really, really be productive. And you watched all those productivity videos, but nothing really seems to create a significant difference. You've tried to ease the symptoms. That's not the right way to go about it. We need to fix the actual problem. And the problem is mental health. After you finish watching this guide, you're going to feel a lot more positive. You're going to feel pleasant. You're going to be able to sit out and enjoy life without needing to be hyper-stimulized. That's a very big problem these days. You'll be able to take control of your thoughts. Not always thinking like negative, belittling things about yourself. One of the best benefits that you're going to get from following this guide is that work will start to feel fun. Like you'll actually crave sitting down and doing work. It'll feel nice not to procrastinate. You'll get higher grades in school. You'll become more intelligent. You'll find that you're just being way more productive. One of my favorite benefits that you'll get from following this guide is that you will build the best physique of your entire life when you've improved your mental health. You see, your mental health dictates the choices that you make and you'll automatically make healthier choices when you've improved your mental health. Let's begin with the guide. And first, we're gonna start by getting you a before picture. You know, like in fitness body transformation pictures, there's a before and after. We're gonna get your before picture for your mental health. And that is your mental health score right now. The top link in the description is the UK's National Health Service, the NHS. They have a mood assessment which gives you a depression and anxiety score. Click on that top link and follow that quiz. It takes like two minutes. This guide is going to be very practical. I'm going to tell you a bunch of times to like scroll down, click on this link, do this right now, do this. Make sure if you really want this guide to change your life, you follow every single practical step that I give. You need to adhere to those practical steps for you to really invest into this and take it really seriously. So now is the time. Pause the video and go to the top link in the description and take that free online assessment. And then once you've done it, you'll be given a depression score and an anxiety score. Take a picture, note that down, save it on your phone, take a screenshot, find a way to save that. You should only continue watching this guide if you have your depression and anxiety score. Our goal with this guide is to half the symptoms, half the numbers that you have. So if for example, you got 14 for depression and 16 for anxiety in that online mood assessment score, we're going to half it to seven for depression and eight for anxiety in just two weeks. That's the goal for this. I will feel like my work here is successful and i will feel proud of myself if you have half those symptoms in two weeks from now i'm going to tell you my story related to mental health and you can skip this section if you want to if you just want to go straight into the guide although i do think there is going to be some kind of value if you sit through and just listen to my story because you'll find that you'll be able to relate to me and the more you can relate to me the more that you'll kind of take my advice seriously i didn't realize that mental health was a thing up until just a few years ago But when I look back, especially at times in high school when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, I was definitely experiencing the symptoms then without realizing it. I was having quite negative thoughts. I was quite anxious, always like worrying about, you know, if the teachers would call my parents and tell them that I was misbehaving. I struggled a lot being able to concentrate in school. So imagine you're in the classroom and the teacher, you know, is at the front of the room and she's trying to teach you something. She's writing down on the board. She's talking to the class and I would want to concentrate. I would want to get high grades in school. I just couldn't concentrate on what she was saying. She'd be talking to us and my mind would just be thinking about other things that were totally irrelevant to my studies. I was very consumed in video games and this is a psychological term called escapism which is kind of like escaping reality and instead going into this virtual reality where we can be and do whatever we want because in real life i was a sad anxious lonely abused little kid with not a lot of confidence not a lot of friends no attraction from girls But in the virtual world, in the video games that I would play, I was a warrior, I was a chef, I was a knight, I was a magician. I got to try all of these different lives. And so it was so nice to be able to play video games and really just obsess over them in my mind. I had other symptoms as well. I was binge eating. So imagine a 14-year-old and I just had this uncontrollable urge to just eat as much junk food as possible. Why was this happening? Why did I have poor mental health at this age? I was traumatized and I was getting more and more trauma every single day. I was being abused at home, abused by my family. I was being abused in school honestly like school was traumatizing by itself when a teacher is unhappy with you and you can't concentrate on me but, you know I was talking in class and the teacher like a grown adult would get close to my face and scream and threaten me some of the teachers knew what was happening at home I was getting abused I was getting like physically emotionally hurt by my parents by my brother and some teachers knew what was happening and they would threaten me they'd look me in the eyes with a certain look on her face and just say something like I'll call your father And we'll see what he'll do to you. We'll see what he has to say about that. When you're, I was going to say when you're young, but honestly, at any age, if you feel compulsively unsafe and you kind of have to stay in that situation, you can't, you know, fortunately be able to like, leave your home or, or get out of like a dangerous situation. When you're stuck there, like you're stuck with your family, you're stuck in school, your body and your nervous system and your mind deteriorate very quickly. And suddenly you're put into this everlasting fight or flight feeling. And you can probably relate to this. If you can relate to the experiences that I've just spoke about. And you've experienced things like trauma and parental abuse. And you can probably relate to this feeling of your fight or flight system just always being activated So there's like two systems inside of our body. One is the fight or flight and the other one is rest and digest. So the rest and digest is what should happen 99% of the time. Your heart rate should be low, your entire body and all your organs and all that sciencey stuff is just working exactly how it's supposed to. And maybe 1% of the time, every now and then, in a moment of extreme stress and, and danger, we should kick into fight or flight and, you know, really kick in. Like this is actually a good system to have. We shouldn't hate on the fight or flight system inside of us. It's just that sometimes, especially in the nature of child abuse, when you're stuck in that environment, like i was when i was a child and realistically like if i give you a very specific example i I don't want to create pictures in your mind that can trigger you or anything so you should be warned that like this entire video is going to be discussing mental health abuse trauma everything anxiety fight or flight everything stress so just be warned that you will feel yourself getting triggered in i trigger it Like I don't like that word Because it's too many like soft people have used it But you will find your emotions If you're really aware of them As you watch parts of this guide Will be spiked And that's okay Just be aware of it As I tell you the story Or you can skip forward So a realistic example Of something that's practically happened in my life Let me give you one example So you can so you can know. In high school, we had these planners. That's what we would call them, planners, which is like a, a booklet, which has like the days of the week and you put in your homework there and there's like comments from teachers. So if you got a comment from a teacher, it was usually like a bad thing. You know, the teacher would like say, okay, give me your planner. And she'd write a letter to your parents right there and you had to show it to them and stuff. And so my dad would check my planner every couple of days, every week or so to see what homework I had had. And there there's this one particular time where he asked me to see it and he saw that there was a homework that you know had been set and then he noticed that that homework was due tomorrow like the day after we were reading it and within an instant he slapped me hard and he got angry and he's like why have you left it for the last day, it was just a small, like little small. I forgot what it was, but it was essentially like the teacher set it on that day. So she set it on that day, and she said, "Oh yeah, just like quickly do it for tomorrow." And just like that, like I still remember it to this day. And I've made a lot of progress that I don't really feel activated as I tell you this story, which is a very, very good sign. I can't explain to you like how much. Like I will tell you more of my story, but I can't explain to you like I've put in a lot of work into this. But that was just one experience, and so that one experience of your caregiver suddenly attacking you, you know, it jolts that fight or flight system inside of you and suddenly as a little kid just, like you feel defenseless and you know like i'm always i'm like a freezer every time i would get hit by my parents i just kind of freeze there and just stop other kids maybe they'd run away other kids they'd like fight back or anything i was always a freezer, and so when this would happen i just you know i'd freeze my dad screaming in my face being violent being aggressive and then my mom would come in and it's like you know just chaotic in the family like, just one experience like that can be traumatizing and so trauma is when we'll go into this more often but like as i tell you these words i don't particularly feel activated but i can tell by the way that i'm talking my mind keeps like going blank for a split second i keep stopping my sentences you can see that it it still affects me and i'm so just one instant like the story i've just told you that can be traumatizing of itself your caregiver attacking you you being really scared and so you can literally get form of ptsd from just one instant like that but if you've experienced childhood abuse, you know, by your parents and it's consistent and it's over the long term. Hundreds of incidents like that. That's when this like mental health issue really starts to get a lot more serious. And so when I'm about 15, 16, 17 years old, this is when I first start to notice violence, aggressive thoughts in my mind. And I've never really been a violent person. There's only been a a very few select times that I've physically hurt another man. I've never hurt a woman physically before. There's been a few times where I've like fully hurt a man. But I've had a lot of violent thoughts and they started around age 15, 16 and it didn't feel abnormal. You know, sometimes you don't really question the kind of thoughts that you get because you're just so used to them. When I look back now and I don't really get these kind of thoughts anymore, there was a lot and it was very worrying because you might, maybe you're experiencing this. Like you've got to understand, this, I feel like this part of the video is all over the place because I'm like recounting experiences. I don't know if there's going to be value in the words I'm saying right now, but I will sort of um reframe myself soon take a big deep breath after we're done with my story and then hopefully I'll be able to instruct you for the rest of the course age 15, 16 onwards a lot of violent thoughts in my mind aggressive thoughts and to be you know totally authentic I'm going to walk you through one of the random thoughts I would get usually there would be when I was in the gym, my brother built like a home gym in our garage, very simple like bench press, squat rack, whatever. So I'd be in there listening to like music and stuff and my mind very, very frequently, very frequently would imagine someone being hurtful towards me. Maybe my family member, maybe a stranger, someone being racist, someone saying something, someone bullying me, someone like picking on me. It would imagine that and I would get a sense of satisfaction and confidence when I would vividly see myself very vividly hurting them and I would somewhat be acting this out in real life. One of them would be like there's some guys walking past me and for some reason he just calls me a paki. He's, you know, he's being racist. I start fighting him. We fall to the floor. I've gotten the strength advantage like the upper hand. And then my mind generates these very vivid thoughts of me gouging his eyes out crushing his face. And imagine having thoughts like this very frequently. At this point, from what I can remember, let's say I'm 16 years old, 17, 18 years old, it would happen 10 times a day. I'd be in school, I'd be in you know, college or whatever, trying to focus on what the teacher's saying and suddenly I just have one of these like emotional outbursts in my mind. Then things got a lot worse. And so that was already a pretty bad existence, but things got worse. I eventually left my family home and I moved to university. And so I started having the time of my life. I've left my family. You know, I can be like the kind of man I want to. I've started getting girls. I started like hooking up and going to parties and clubs and making new friends and being loud and drinking and taking drugs. And that spiraled very, very quickly. My biggest aim when I went to university was not to study or to be a good student or anything. It was literally just make friends and just sleep with women. And that's entirely what I focused on. And you know, it's very fun making progress to your goals, especially as a young man. And you know, you're kind of carefree, you're like an idiot. So you're like, oh yeah, you know, I slept with three girls last week, it's so amazing. And the culture that this put me into, that I put myself into, this sort of drinking, drugs, partying, nightclub environment, it's very anxiety-inducing. You go to, like, one of these clubs, let's say, in the UK and, and, you know, it's a bunch of students there. People don't really realize this about a club or a party because a lot of people, like, kind of lie to themselves and, like, and say, like, you know, they go to the clubs or to parties just to have fun and dance with their friends and stuff. But a lot of people don't really see the evolutionary psychology that's going on here. It's a very, very primal environment because the underlying reason why men are going to this kind of environment of parties and clubs is because they want to hook up with the girls there. And the underlying reason why the girls there go and spend hours getting ready, you know, makeup and stuff. And a lot of girls lie and say like, oh no, it's just for myself. I'm just, you know, they, they say the shit, but the underlying subconscious reason why girls go there is because they want to get the attention of the guys who are there. And a bunch of girls also do want to hook up too. So it's a very, very primal environment. It's, it's full with a bunch of like guys at the peak of their testosterone levels drinking in groups of them, a bunch of girls dressing in very like quite provocative ways very sexualized environments, alcohol's flowing and so it can be a very anxious environment and i got like good in this environment and something if you've never really been to clubs or parties something you'll maybe find out what i can tell you is that every couple of nights there is some kind of like incident there is a fight there is you know some arguments and it's not even that significant after a while it just you're used to it we'd go out me and my friends and we'd always kind of know like oh yeah like you know we'd probably end up hitting someone today we would probably end up like getting into like a tussle or arguments or shouting because this guy said this or this guy's bumped into him and so whilst i was overindulging in this environment and i was getting good at it I didn't realize how much anxiety it was really causing that you know that those same violent thoughts of like self-protection and you know to hurt another man They started compounding in my mind exponentially The origin for those violent thoughts for me would have been my family and it would have been you know The sense of like injustice from being abused by my caregiver But eventually it was very much compounded by this environment that I was getting into and then things got even more traumatizing I was the victim of a racist incident. So in manchester, there was a bombing like a terrorist attack in 2018 It was in the Ariana Grande Stadium It was like a big musical concert And there was a terrorist attack there And a few days after that I finished work I go to the train station to go home And there's just so much commotion There's yelling And what was happening was that There was two guys who were drunk who was screaming and being racist at a muslim woman wearing like a hijab and her little girl that she had like you know holding her clothes they're screaming in her face saying that she you bombed us like they're blaming her on the attack they're just you know they're they're crazy these guys are crazy and everything but i remember getting there seeing this and something just came inside of me for the first time like this was before i could fight this was before i was strong i just started yelling at these guys swearing at them It, it enraged me and i think what what enraged me more was not so much just the racist guys but the the fact that there was lots of other people on the train station just kind of like buried into their phones you know trying not to pay attention to what's going on all the commotion and even the staff who work there but i get into like a verbal commotion with these guys and you know it gets kind of scary there's two grown-ass drunk men in front of me screaming at me calling me like the packy and everything i get onto my train eventually i'm you know i'm calming down a little bit and just i don't know where they walk past me and sit close to me and for like a 20 minute train ride they're just swearing loud racist everything everyone's silent on the train and we get off well i get off first i look back and they stand up and they see me stand up and they're like following me off the train you know i to text my dad come in come like help this racist i literally still remember my texting my dad this because he was waiting outside to pick me up and i text him this message saying racist on the train come inside quick and he starts calling me but i tell him i can't pick up i don't know why i didn't just pick up and go on am going the phone call but i tell him like come inside and i walk downstairs in the train station he walks past me he's like, wait what's, what's going on what's going on and then they walk down and then there's like a big like tussle and everything big fighting and this one guy he just keeps doing some creepy shit one of the drunk guys he just keeps like smiling in a really weird way and saying, so, like okay come here like he's, he's kind of got one hand behind his back and he's like come here just shake my hand just shake my hand and he just does this so much he does it to me he does it to my father a bunch of times he just keeps like trying to get close to us with his hand behind his back he was later on arrested and he had an 11 inch knife on him this was all on the news he was jailed for one and a half years he, it would have been on. A- a lot longer but he didn't pull the knife out at any point or he was trying to wait for like the perfect opportunity the the police officer told me this like if you actually pull a knife out then it's way higher but if you just have it like on your person then it's only classed as like possession of a bladed article so we got one and a half years for this and my anxiety that same thing that i told you about those violent thoughts man that <laughs> they increased heavily. And so all those symptoms that I had before, like binge eating and violent thoughts, they compounded so much more. If I couldn't focus in school or university before this, now it was just, totally it felt impossible and the only thing that i really spent my time doing at this point was just waking up smoking weed and just binge eating food wanting to stay comfortable in my own little bubble and not even realizing that this was a mental health issue after this i struggled heavily for around one to two years and it's strange that i can kind of conclude those two years in just a you know single sentence like yeah i struggled heavily but when i think back to those hundreds of days where i woke up feeling depressed and so anxious where every single day I was seeing the physique that you know meant so much to me like fitness means a lot to me and I was seeing my physique and my strength and my skill and my endurance all just go down every single day because I was choosing comfort over discipline I was just somewhat like scared to leave the house I never wanted to admit it but I just you know I it felt so much more comfortable to think to myself yeah I'll stay in all day I got into a relationship that was pretty toxic and not very loving and that was my responsibility that was my that was my fault I'd, I'll take full responsibility for that and it's sad And I literally, I experienced somewhat of the height of my life At the start of university With like friends and and partying and girls and everything And my life just went straight down All because of mental health But what's interesting is that through all this, I didn't even know that mental health was the problem. It became more apparent to me after I finished university and I started looking for jobs, and I got into that young person's existential crisis, which you don't know what to do with your life. The jobs you're working aren't really that good. I started working a customer service job in a complaints department, which literally would make me cry. But, and this is when I started to look into entrepreneurship and online businesses, but I literally always struggled to actually being productive, especially by myself. In school, we have like a teacher, an authority figure, Maybe if you're a young man, you have like your parents who are looking at you and saying, okay, do this work right now. When you leave the education system, you're not really prepared for that. And so you become your own boss. And that became extra stressful because I just wasn't doing any work that I would set by myself. I would say to myself, okay, I wanna make this website. And I wanna do like this business task today. What do you think I did? I'd wake up and I'd just start smoking weed and then I didn't do the work. And it was at this time, age 21, where I luckily just stumbled upon people talking about improving their mental health on Reddit. There was like an online discussion of like mental health resources. It was the start of the COVID lockdown. This period of my life changed everything. I started researching mental health, learning things about depression, anxiety, gratitude, mindfulness, all the practical, no BS things that we can implement for free that will improve our mental health. And that's what you're going to learn in this guide. I've said many times that there are no overnight successes. I've said many, many times there's no shortcut to success. You have to work hard for a long time. You have to be consistent. You have to be disciplined. But if there is one shortcut to success, it's improving your mental health. I discovered mental health and I started to actively improve it. And I promise you that this is the case. Within two weeks, my life changed forever. Within two weeks, I left that relationship that was kind of toxic. I've not really given many details about it because I spoke about it extensively in previous videos. Plus, I just don't want to really speak about it too much, but I left that relationship. I, I was living with her. So we lived together in an apartment. I moved out, finally moved out. I quit smoking weed. I quit eating junk food. I moved back home to my parents' house in the middle of COVID and I literally got into the best shape of my life so far. I got ultra lean. My diet was fantastic. I started meditating for 20 minutes, then 40 minutes, then 60 minutes a day. I was journaling, I was working on businesses. I had the quickest turnaround of my entire life and that really just snowballed into the success that I have today which I feel is massive. I want the same thing for you. So in this guide we're going to focus on the two most common mental illnesses which are depression and anxiety. When you took that online mood assessment that I linked at the top of the description you would have gotten a depression and anxiety score. The goal of this guide is to half those scores within just two weeks. So if you took that test and you scored 14 for depression and 16 for anxiety in just two weeks of following this guide, we want to get you to seven on depression and eight on anxiety, a massive improvements. Let's talk about depression. I believe depression is actually the most common illness slash disability in Western developed countries. What is depression? A lot of people mistakenly think that depression is like a feeling of sadness and like, you know, like, oh, I feel depressed. Not necessarily. Depression isn't sadness. It's more emptiness, nihilism, like there's no meaning or purpose to your life. Why do we get depressed and why is it so common in the modern day? It's because we're living without purpose. You and I, we young men. 100 years ago, we would have had a wife and children at this age. We had a rock solid purpose. We had our family and there was wars that we would be drafted off to. So our lives would have had a mission. We would have been focused on something. We don't really have that anymore. We don't have a mission. We don't have a, a clear purpose for our lives. And so we lack meaning. There's also another major issue which causes the symptoms of depression which is overindulging in instant gratification so i'm going to give you the bro science explanation for why i think depression is so common especially amongst like young unproductive people you need to learn two terms Instant gratification and delayed gratification. Instant gratification comes from the activities that we do that feel good right now, but they kind of make our life worse in the long run. So this is things like porn, video games, watching TV, eating junk food. All of those things feel good right now. They feel pleasurable. We want to do them right now. We're really motivated to do them right now. But we kind of know that it makes our life worse every time that we overindulge in those things and, you know, we play video games for like six hours. We kind of realize that, oh yeah, like, you know, I just wasted a bunch of time, which I should have been doing my work in or we eat the junk food and it tastes really nice on our lips for a few seconds but then we just think oh why did i eat that i've just gained so many calories so instant gratification activities feel good right now but make your life worse in the long run when we overindulge in instant gratification activities like porn video games junk food like the majority of us are doing our baseline happiness enjoyment and fulfillment of life goes down and down and down. We get like a momentary high from these pleasurable activities, but the baseline that we come down to goes down every single time we overindulge. And so the majority of us are overindulging in porn and video games. And so our baseline happiness, like our normal level of happiness and fulfillment is very, very low to the point that we just feel empty, that we we don't feel anything this is usually where the argument comes in, where people ask, is depression curable? Is it not just genetics? And a lot of people who have depression really, really assert that it's genetics and you know they can't change it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I've got depression, that's how I've got to live for the rest of my life. And in my opinion, that's a very self-destructive belief. I'm a big believer that you should believe the things that benefit you. And believing that, oh, well, I can't change anything about this doesn't serve you in any beneficial way. Is there progress that you can make to improve your mental health? Yes. So it's actually beneficial for you to make sure that you haven't convinced yourself that depression and any other mental illness is something that you can't change because you can always make some kind of progress. And just for an anecdotal experience, I've helped multiple people who were certain that their depression was totally genetic, unchangeable. You know, it's not It's not because they play video games all day. They were so certain that they were depressed for like genetic reasons, that they were on antidepressants. And with just two weeks of following this plan, their lives changed and they set in motion to significantly improve their mental health. My best friend, Sam, he's the YouTuber named Harbinator. He was the first video editor that I got for my channel. He was certain that he had clinical depression. He was on antidepressants. He's not anymore. He's the happiest, most healthy, most productive he's ever been in his life because we have to change his beliefs and tell him like, why are you belittling your own self? And why don't you just see what would happen if you just start to believe that you can make some progress here? And that's exactly what happened. It's hard to convince someone who's so stuck in their ways thinking like, nope, I can't change it because it's, you know, the doctor said it's genetic. But whilst we're talking about all this, depression seems like the enemy that we wanna fight against. You know, it's a bad thing that's happening to us. I don't think so. I think it would actually serve us to be grateful for our depression. We can view depression actually as our ally. Depression is these emotions, which is kind of like a thermostat telling us that something is wrong with our lives, that we're living without meaning, that we're overindulging in bad habits. That's actually very beneficial when you think about it. Your body is literally giving you like an unpleasant feeling of like emptiness and purposelessness. You're getting that feeling on purpose to hopefully direct you into the right course of action. We should be grateful for depression because if we didn't have this feeling that was showing us that we were on the wrong track of life, you wouldn't be watching this video today. You wouldn't have ever really cared about improving your mental health. And so how do you cure depression? First off, you need to stop doing the things that are causing you to feel that way, which is those instant gratification activities. And this is like a hard swallow pill for a lot of people because they really don't wanna admit, they're so certain that you know video games and lack of sunlight and lack of water and lack of proper nutrition are causing them to feel negative and empty and nihilistic, but it probably is the case. We need to stop doing those bad habits and we need to start doing the good mental health practices that you're gonna learn in this guide. Now there's a very interesting concept of depression that we can talk about here, which is that having depression actually makes it hard, if not impossible, to do the things that would ease Depression. So when you have depression, it almost feels like you have an inability to be productive and to do the right things that would ease depression. It's almost like a catch 22. It's like a very deadly cycle. And so I want to reframe your mind here to empower you to be able to make some changes in your life. Don't think about it as depression stopping you from being able to do like the good habits and, you know, forcing you to stay on the bad habits and simply just look at all this as it is habits. If we can nail just the habits without this extra belief, like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm handicapped because I have this issue. And we simply just say, okay, you're struggling with the habit of exercise. Well, there's a hundred things I could teach you about that. You're struggling with the habit of diet. Well, there's a hundred things I could teach you about that. If we simply change your habits, you will feel better and your score in that mental health assessment will go down. And so now let's talk about anxiety. How does it feel to be anxious? It feels like you're hyper vigilant. You're like really, really aware. You're overthinking about bad things that could happen. What's interesting is that anxiety is quite individual and unique in each person, like what their form of anxiety is. So my form of anxiety is about physical danger. My anxious thoughts have always been about like other people. And like, is this guy gonna attack me? It's always about like physical fights, violence. Whereas another person's anxiety can be social anxiousness. They could be like obsessively, like anxiously thinking about the social dynamics in this like group of friends that they're in. And they feel activated. And even though that seems like, wait, why would you be anxious about, you know, a group of friends? That's still quite a primal thing. When you think about being accepted into the tribe, that's a very important part of animal and human nature. Anxiety can lead to panicking, fear, aggressiveness, and it even has very negative effects on your physical health. When you're anxious and hyper vigilant what's actually happening on a physiological level is that you're entering the fight or flight mode so that's like the survival mode inside of us which is keying in and really telling us okay do we fight this person or do we run away And when that happens, when the survival mode kicks in, a lot of our normal body's processes are stopped so that we can allocate resources to like the real survival mechanisms inside of us. Now, again, I'm gonna give you like a bro science explanation. You can go find like the specific scientific details if you want, but when you're anxious, it's like your brain and your body's telling things like, for example, your muscles to like get ready for fighting or for running away. But by allocating resources into these short-term survival things, like, you know, faster thinking and like stronger, more agile muscles, resources get taken away from more of our long-term health organs. So for example, a lot of people with anxiety also suffer from like gut problems, digestive problems, because that's like a long-term health thing, which experiences like negativity because all of our resources are being allocated otherwise. I know this sounds like maybe too much information, but like if I have some kind of, you know, intense anxiety moment, moments, a few hours after that, I'm probably going to have diarrhea. It doesn't happen anywhere near as much as it used to, but bro, I know this is like too much information, but you do need to know these things. Like, I lived for years and years and years shitting four, five, six times a day and never once was this cylinder bro it was always like liquidy pieces and I know that's so much like information but like I think it's so important that you know the the real unfiltered truths of a mental illness like this like it's not nice. So why do we get anxious why does our body go into this hyper vigilant state? Now first of all we have to understand just like with depression like this is something that we should feel grateful for. Anxiety is just our body's survival mechanism trying to protect us. It's just that sometimes when that survival mechanism kicks in it kind of gets glitched it kind of gets messed up and it kind of stays on far longer than it actually should so what may have happened is that at a young age there was something quite traumatizing and scary that happened to us most likely it was something to do with our parents just you know being violent or whatever and so there's a chance at any of these traumatic incidents that our body gets stuck in this anxious state and it just kicks into overdrive trying to save us and so then even when we leave this dangerous situation our body and mind is just on overdrive, just hypervigilant, just making sure we don't go back to that same dangerous situation again. It's of utmost importance that you reframe the anxious thoughts and the feeling of hypervigilance. Reframe your mind with this, because for so long we've lived thinking that these things are bad, if they're the enemy. I don't wanna be anxious, I don't wanna be depressed. We have to be grateful and actually just see, okay, interestingly, this is actually my brain and my body doing a good thing for me. Anxiety isn't the enemy. It's trying to protect you because there was a moment in your life where you couldn't protect yourself. There was a point when you you got scared so heavily that now your body's just really vigilant. It's like your body's just sending signals all around, just saying like, come on, like we've got to protect him. That brings like a tear to my eye because for so long, I hated this part of me. And I realized that so much progress comes when you realize the utility, the value of depression and anxiety. How do you cure anxiety? I believe the single greatest tool that the practice that you can implement is mindfulness. And you're gonna learn about that in this guide. Now let's go over the actual practical things that you can do to improve your mental health and if there's just one tool that you take from this entire guide that you implement into your normal life let it be gratitude. Now gratitude is more like a trait, a skill. It's the skill of counting your blessings. So you know in religions like Christianity and Islam before they eat food they say a small prayer. They say grace that they're grateful for something. Gratitude is like the scientific version of happiness because happiness as you may know it's it's kind of a wishy-washy emotion. You don't really know when you'd get happy sometimes you're you're happy for no reason sometimes you can't be happy even in a situation where you should be happy gratitude is the scientific version of that which you can induce with total control and if you follow the technique which i'm about to walk you through your life will change forever gratitude is when you stop and you force your brain to think positive thoughts about of things that you appreciate and there's an important word which i just said and that word is force For a lot of people, thoughts of gratitude aren't normal. And so you almost have to manually implant them, forcefully implant those thoughts of gratitude into your mind. Try this actionable step right now. Pick one person in your contact list, one person whose number you have. Choose one person and send them a text message of gratitude. Send them a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs of you saying, I'm grateful for you because of this. And just make it as entirely as positive and as loving as you can. So just before you send them this message, really just think to yourself, "Okay, pick the person in your mind who you're gonna send it to. And think of some happy memories that you have together. Think of some positive things that they've done for you and things that you've done together. If you really just did what I said and really visualize the happy times that you've had with someone and how you're grateful for that, you can't help but smile. You can't help but feel happy about this. And it's so interesting that within just a few seconds, you've just put a smile onto your face. You've literally just induced happiness onto yourself that's extremely powerful and now you can induce that same feeling of happiness and gratitude onto a friend or a family member so this is the actionable step to take right now if you really want this guide to help you pause the video right now and go onto your contact list on whatsapp text message whatever pick one person and send them like a couple of sentences maybe a paragraph just of you saying that you're grateful for them that's such a simple act what you've just done you've literally just sent a text message and yet you've become happier because of it you can see that the power of gratitude is massive and we don't utilize it enough. And so we want some kind of gratitude practice to become a habit for you. To maximize the benefits of gratitude, we want you to do a practice like sending that text message of gratitude every day. And if you can do that at the same time, so consistently, that would transform your mental health to such a level that you might not even be able to realize right now. Imagine if every single day at the same time, you sent like a nice loving message to one person, one friend, one family member for weeks, for months and of course after a little while you'd run out of friends and family to message and at that point you could start maybe reaching out to people who aren't really totally your friends maybe you could go on like discord servers like we have a discord server for this channel and there's a bunch of young guys on self-improvement the discord link is in the description of this video if you want to join it and it's like 60 70 000 young men who are discussing self-improvement No fat. imagine if you end up you know just speaking to someone there you have a nice conversation and then you send them a message of gratitude You could reasonably find one person every single day, maybe it'd take you five, 10 minutes. And to spend that time to not only feel grateful, but then to also express it to someone. It's such a beautiful habit that you can get into. There's other gratitude practices you can try. And the one that I've personally done the most is just simple gratitude journaling. And that's where you literally just write down what you're grateful for on a piece of paper, on your phone. You just write, I'm grateful for this fireplace. It's very, very comfortable. I'm not gonna lie, I, I kind of panicked when I first set it on. Fire's a bit, you know, sometimes can be a bit uncontrollable, but it's like, I'm very grateful for it. This is the first time I've used a like a wooden log burner. Like I said, I'm in Scotland right now amongst nature. It's a very peaceful place. So I'm grateful for the Airbnb I'm staying in. I'm grateful for the woman who's hosting us here, the nature, the animals, the donkeys, and the horses outside. This is what I would write down every single day, Just three points, five points of things that you're grateful for. And you'll find that as you write these thoughts of gratitude will start to become automatic into your mind. Just take a second to think how nice that would be that throughout your normal day to day, your mind would automatically just give you a thought of gratitude. That would feel amazing. Like you'd literally just get a sudden boost of like happiness and appreciation. And that's what we really want. And so we put in a little bit of discipline and consistency in practices, like a daily message of gratitude or gratitude journaling. Same time, every single day, we just do it for five minutes, 10 minutes. And the return on investment for this is so incredible. Like I said, if there's one thing that you do for your mental health, make it gratitude. Let's talk about mindfulness. And you might've heard of this already. So mindfulness is often joined together with meditation and you were expecting meditation to come into this mental health guide. There's a reason why when you clicked on this guide, instantly you knew that I'd be talking about meditation. You inherently know and understand and believe that meditation will be good for your mental health. So I don't even need to explain that to you. It's like very common knowledge. Meditation is good for your mental health. It's better if we spend our time practically speaking about how you can implement meditation into your life if you haven't been able to already. I wanna give you advice that you've never heard anywhere else before. First, we need to discuss why we're all so mindless. So mindfulness is what we want. Mindfulness is like presence. It's the ability to be focused of what's happening here right now instead of having just random thoughts. As I speak these words to you, there's quite literally zero thoughts in my mind. Every time I sit down to record a video or if I live stream, I get into a total flow state. I am totally mindful and present. That means that as I speak these words to you, there's no thoughts of negativity, no hateful thoughts, no negative feelings inside of our mind. I'm just existing and i'm just performing it's a blissful state being mindful and present and it is a core component of mental health and happiness but then we have to ask each other why are we all so mindless for most of the time what i've just said is somewhat of a rare occurrence okay i'm sat here, i have no thoughts in my mind i'm totally present but for the majority of people probably including yourself you're probably mindless for a large part of the day and i am too so there's certain moments where i'm totally present like i am here but for a large part of the day i'm still mindless and we have to ask ourselves why Now, of course, evolutionarily, there's going to be some benefit for us to be able to think throughout the day and stuff, fair enough, you know, to get some ideas and to survive, fine. But it's obvious to us that as a generation, our levels of mindfulness and presence are so low. Why? I think if there's one explanation, it's our smartphones. The apps that we have on our phones, social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, what happens is that we go onto these platforms and you know, you might have taken a big step back from social media. I have too. I've deleted all social media, but we spent years on those platforms. Right now, what you're doing is very good. You're watching like one full length, long video and you're giving it your full attention. You are giving it your full attention. You're not like scrolling down, looking at the comments right now, are you? But when you sit down and you give something your full attention like this, you're actually training your brain to focus better. The issue then is with apps like TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, you're Seeing like new data, you know, new posts every what one second, half a second, you know, you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. You're training your brain to be able to focus for half a second and then quickly switch up and to start thinking about a different piece of content, like a different topic. Our attention spans are not. not ideal and i really really fear for the young generation perhaps you're a young man watching this but i fear for the young generation who have been raised on ipads and iphones if you're my age i'm 25 so we got these things at like age 15 and you know that's bad enough we've had technology like this like smartphones for like 10 years but there's kids who have been raised on technology like smartphones and ipads since age four five less i didn't mean to get into a rant here man but almost every day i go to like cafes and restaurants and i always always see like a family and the parents are just talking and the little kids just got an iphone what's that doing to their brain it's training them to be able to only hold their attention for a few seconds up until they click on like the next thing obviously little babies are on like youtube watching like cartoons or something your phone can be and is for some people their biggest allies you can run an entire business off your phone but you can also ruin your life from it right here right now i want you to just have the humility and ask yourself which category are you in are you in truly the person who's using their phone and social media truly don't lie to yourself are you truly doing that in a productive, beneficial way? Totally beneficial. It's making you rich. It's it's giving you status. It's giving you the things that you want. Or are you in the 99.999% of group people who it's probably more of a detriment for? Up until just a few weeks ago, I was 100% here, but I've made some really good steps and I want to walk you through them because I can tell you how to increase your mindfulness through things like meditation, which we will do. But it's very important for us to spend some time to make sure you're not decreasing it significantly because even though meditation and other mindfulness activities are really powerful. I don't think they can counteract the damage that's done through smartphones and I think that's the biggest number one thing that we need to focus on to stop decreasing our mindfulness. We need to simply just decrease how we use our phones. What social media do you still use? You can potentially consider YouTube one, especially if you don't really watch long videos like this and you generally watch like YouTube shorts or shorter five minute clickbait videos. The first major step that you can take today to stop reducing your mindfulness is to take a big step back from the worst social medias. And I would say they are TikTok. 100% TikTok is the worst for many reasons, but it's particularly the worst for mindfulness. It's just too, too quick. And it's the same with Instagram and perhaps even Twitter. There's just too much data, information, new content that you're seeing every 0.5 seconds. You have to take a big step back from this entertaining kind of content and at the very least, switch over to more educational. If you are gonna be frying your brain and and lowering your mindfulness, at least don't do it for entertainment. At least don't do it just to like waste time and just pretend, oh, well, you know, I'm just unwinding. What I did personally was that I just stopped using Instagram and I just started watching more educational videos on YouTube. I started watching more long form podcasts Podcasts unedited longer videos kind of like this one that simple change from reducing how much you watch these like short form random videos to the long form educational content is absolutely huge this is what transformed my life and it really helped me to learn and to become more successful that one change will truly alter the trajectory of where your levels of mindfulness are going because right now for the majority of people it's going way down but if you just simply take a step back from like these content aggravation sites tiktok instagram twitter is there any other YouTube shorts as well. You'll be going into the right direction. Now we can focus on the primary things that increase your mindfulness. And the number one best way possible is meditation. But there are also things that improve your levels of mindfulness that are usually not really speaking about. Things that require presence and concentration. And so the next part of this guide is going to be on a topic that you might have not really realized is linked with mental health and no one has ever really linked the two together. We'll discuss that shortly. But first, let's just go through the benefits that you'll feel if you increase your mindfulness. And then I'll tell you you exactly how to increase it. The benefits you'll feel, you'll be able to be present and actually enjoy what's happening. You know, there's a very sad reality of the human experience is that we can be in a happy situation and not be happy it's very interesting isn't it there's been times when you should have been happy you should have been positive something good happened and you didn't really feel that good interestingly for the stoics amongst us or maybe you have a level of emotional regulation which is really good there's been times when you probably should have felt bad but you didn't you felt kind of good more mindful you are, the better you'll be able to regulate your emotions. You'll be able to truly enjoy experiences instead of just being in an environment which should be pleasant and just finding yourself just overthinking about something irrelevant. You'll find it way easier with more mindfulness to make friends and to maintain really good relationships so much better. Because imagine if you and I are going to have an initial chat, we're going to have a conversation. I see you in my gym and you're like, oh my God, it's yours. And we come up and I speak to you, right? If I can subconsciously, you know, I won't really think in my mind but if i could subconsciously tell you're not present for our conversation if it's just kind of obvious that you're like thinking about something else if i'm speaking to you and it's obvious that you're not really listening we're not really going to get along are we and now imagine for deeper relationships like your family or a girl that you're in love with to be able to be present with them there and then just truly with them focus on them that's a a wonderful gift that you can give to them on the other hand imagine your mom is talking to you and you've just got thoughts going on in your mind and you're not truly even listening to her. People pick up on these things. One of the most practical benefits of more mindfulness is that you'll just be able to focus and concentrate on work and study so much better. You can probably relate to this for a lot of people can't even read. Like a lot of people literally struggle to read these days. If you grabbed a book right now and the book was like a little bit boring, would you be honest? Would you experience this? Maybe after reading a paragraph, you don't really remember what you've just read because if you're really aware of it, you'll realize that you're almost like pretending to read whilst you're thinking about something something else To be able to read and study effectively, you need to be mindful. In fact, to be able to do almost anything effectively in life, you need to be mindful. So how do you become more mindful through meditation? How do you actually meditate? Because it seems like such a weird topic. We're going to do a very, very short meditation session together. And it's going to be on like a lot of the sessions you may have tried previously, because I'm going to walk you through a very practical, no BS framework for improving your mindfulness with meditation. It's a four-step framework. We're going to start at step one, and that's to be mindful of something that's happening happening in the present moment. And so the breath is commonly used in meditation. So essentially just just be mindful and present and aware of your breath. Just put all your focus onto your breath right now. Keep your focus there, just keep breathing. Just keep your focus onto your breath. Now, without really realizing it, if we did this for another five, 10 seconds, you may not be consciously aware, but step two of the way to improve your mindfulness is that you actually lose your focus on the thing that you were focusing on. So step one is to be focused and present on our breath. Step two is actually where you lose focus on the thing, but you haven't realized it just yet. Because there's a gap, I hope you can understand this. When we first lose awareness and we become mindless, we don't actually realize, we're not aware that we are currently mindless for at least some time, up until there's almost like an aha moment and we're like, oh, I'm mindless. So step one is focus on our breath. (sighs) Step two, after a few seconds, we've lost awareness, but we're not even aware that we've lost awareness. Step three is that now we are aware that we lost our focus on the breath. So step three is that moment where you think, oh, I was supposed to be meditating and I was just deep in thought about something else. And finally, step four is to just come back to the thing that you were focused on originally. So step one, focus on your breathing. Step two, subconsciously lose awareness of the thing we were focusing on, but you don't even realize it just yet. I'm thinking about high school. And then step three is you realize you were thinking about something else. Oh, oh, I was thinking about high school when I should be focusing on my breath. Okay, I'll go back to the breath. Step four. You complete all four steps and that's like one rep, one squat, one bicep curl for the brain. Interestingly, this is where a lot of people get upset when they try to meditate. They try to meditate and then they lose their focus and they say they can't do it. But what you need to understand is that if we go through all four steps, it's like one bicep curl for the brain. Our brain's just gotten stronger. We've just gained 10 mindfulness experience. And so we actually want to go through these four steps as fast and as often as possible. What that means is that when you try to meditate and you lose focus, it's actually a good thing. This is why so many people struggle with meditation. They try it and then they don't enjoy it because it's not working for them. They're not able to clear their mind of thoughts. What they don't realize is that every time you lose your focus, that's actually an opportunity to simply just bring your focus back to the present moment and to gain that like XP. You know in video games, we have like XP experience for like the skill. Every time you come back to the present moment, you come back to your breath. That's like 10 experience in your mindfulness skill. You need to lose your awareness and to think about something else to be able to actually gain more mindfulness. I'm recording a full meditation video that you can follow along to every day. And I'll have a card pop up on screen as soon as it's released. So click on that card right now and you can just load it up, save it to your watch later and start listening to it maybe every morning or every night time. The next tool to improve your mental health is challenging yourself and you might not have ever considered challenges to be a tool for your mental health. But when we set challenges for ourselves, we enter what's called a flow state. A flow state is kind of like an extreme state of presence and mindfulness. So in the previous part of this guide, we just spoke about presence and mindfulness. And we said that's when you're able to focus on what's going on at the task at hand, you'll have no thoughts. But a flow state is when you're so focused that you lose track of the time. Suddenly two hours have gone by and you're like, wait, what? It felt like 20 minutes and I did so much and I was so productive. At least you just did more work or I did better than I've done in the last week. It's only when we enter a flow state that we really tap into our ultimate potential. A flow state is what athletes call being in the zone. You might have heard that saying, an athlete will say, oh, well, you know, I just entered the zone. That's a flow state. That's extreme mindfulness and presence. And that comes from challenge. You can only enter a flow state being in the zone if you've got some kind of challenge. And there's so many more benefits to this, not just your mental health, but increases in testosterone. When you challenge yourself and when there's some kind of competition, your testosterone rises. Setting yourself some kind of challenges where you're so focused will lead to more success and accomplishments and it'll make you feel just happier and more proud for yourself. So this might seem like a weird part of this guide. We're talking about mental health. Why am I talking about challenges? But you see, when you set challenges, it just kicks your brain into overdrive and lets you just totally focus on something rather than like ruminating on negative thoughts. So the way that you can improve your mental health and also the rest of your life, how masculine you are, how successful you are, how happy and accomplished you are, is through setting yourself some kind of challenges that you can obsess over. For example, you could be reading a book and say to Yourself. you know what? I'm going to finish this book by the end of the week. Or you could say that you want to go on three runs this week. You want to run for a total of 10 kilometers this week and you're writing it down, you're tracking the data and it's exciting because you're thinking, wait, it's Saturday and I still got two kilometers. I don't want to go right now. But you know what? Okay, I'm going to go on a run right now. That kind of aggressive energy makes you feel good. Working hard on a meaningful goal naturally makes us feel good about ourselves, especially if you are the one who has set that goal, that challenge. You know, it's an interesting thing that you go a large part of your life without ever setting yourself to do any kind of work or challenge because the teacher in school does it for you. We've been conditioned, I don't mean to go on a rant here, but we've been conditioned to wait for an authority figure to tell us what to do, to set us challenges and work. We need to become that authority figure for ourselves. It's like stand up straight with your shoulders back and say to yourself, okay, I am going to do this thing by this date. We can't always rely on the teacher or the boss to tell us what to do. We need to start setting challenges for ourselves. So here's the actionable step. Just take a minute right now to think and maybe write down one or two challenges, goals that you can set for yourself by the end of this week. And if it's Saturday or Sunday right now, then do it for next Sunday. What is a challenge that you can set for next Sunday? Perhaps it's to finish reading this book, to work out five times. To go on three runs maybe you want to do a longer term challenge like hit 1 million subscribers before november that's mine if you're watching this video in november have a look at our channel subscriber counts it's going to be over 1 million set yourself one or two challenges right now and they could be short term or long term whatever it is it's just some kind of challenge that will make you take like some kind of work productive thing more seriously set that challenge and start to obsess over it when you start to work on that challenge you will naturally just feel good To improve your mental health, we absolutely have to talk about your physical health. And your physical health may actually be the single most important influence on your mental health. It's a sad state for the majority of young men who are just so physically unhealthy. You don't realize how far we are away from living like our ancestors was. The majority of us sit down for 10 hours a day. School makes you wake up when you're still sleep deprived. We don't get much sunlight anymore. We don't have like high levels of testosterone with competition and challenge with our brothers. We eat food that's been genetically modified with pesticides and pumped full of refined sugars. There's a lot of things that are very negatively affecting our physical health and you'll find that if you improve some things of your physical health which we'll discuss here your mental health will improve as an indirect result of that this section of the guide is probably going to give you the biggest improvements in your mental health but the reason why i've put this section on physical health after the few sections we've already spoke about which is gratitude mindfulness and challenge is that you actually need to do these things first to be able to make progress in your physical health Just like everyone else, you've probably tried to improve your physical health. You've probably tried to like lose weight or go to the gym or improve your sleep or eat cleaner. It's probably always felt like a bit of a struggle, like you're swimming upstream. If right now you're struggling with things like to be able to go to the gym consistently, to be able to eat clean, you know, there's that decision to be made, should you eat the the junk food? And you know rationally, you know that you shouldn't. But if right now you're still at the level where you just keep choosing the wrong thing, if you struggle to improve your sleep, if you struggle to improve so many different parts of your physical health, if that is relatable to you right now, please trust me when I say that any effort you make to try to improve your physical health will be a waste of time. I know this sounds so weird. If you struggle to try to improve your physical health, it's a waste of time to try to improve it directly. If you're struggling to try to, for example, get onto a good, clean diet, and you know, you keep saying, oh, I'm going to go on a diet, but then you keep cheating on your diet. If you're struggling to consistently work out, focusing on those things will just constantly just keep you in this loop where you'll never achieve anything. What you need to do, if you're currently struggling with things like diets or working out or whatever, you need to focus on the previous three parts of this guide gratitude meditation and challenge if you focus on them instead you'll find that you'll naturally be able to actually do more of the physical health habits i wasn't able to improve my diet for literally years for years i tried to literally for years i tried to follow all these fitness youtubers who are telling me this diet's better than this one and if it fits your macros or calories in, you know they're telling me all these things and i simply just couldn't stop overeating i simply just couldn't say no to the junk food and no one had ever spoke about this before i realized after my own experimentation the one key secret to be able to improve your diet. Isn't all of these fancy diets, it's meditation. You need to have levels of mindfulness, gratitude, and some kind of challenge to be able to improve your physical health first. So focus on those sections. Now, if you're going to continue watching this part of the guide, you're making this promise right now that you already have started to meditate and do some kind of gratitude practice and you've set yourself some kind of challenge, like, okay, a reasonable challenge. Like, okay, I want to work out twice this week. You should have all those things in place first before we really dive deep into these. There's three parts of our physical health that greatly influence Influence our mental health, and they are diet, exercise, and sleep. Your diet plays a huge role in how you feel mentally, and it would take me a full-length video to be able to explain it in detail. If you want my very, very detailed explanation of diet and nutrition in a way that's explained in my way, which is like no BS, no fancy words, just you know, just talk to me like I'm a five-year-old so I can really understand it instead of all these like scientists telling me shit. I made like a 45-minute diet educational video that went viral and I have it up as a card on screen so you can click on that card right now and just pause that video and just maybe save it to go watch later and you can watch that when you're totally thinking about diets. It would take me far too long to explain everything in terms of diet here but just in short what you know about diet and nutrition and your food choices is so so limited and the issue is the people who seem like they're educating you right now you know these fitness influencers, fitness youtubers especially they're all selling you this lie which is based on like you could eat whatever you want and you can still lose weight and the thing is that might be true you know calories in calories out if it fits your macros those things might be true but those Eating certain foods will reduce your health. That should not be a big statement. For all of modern times, we would follow this one golden phrase, which is that you are what you eat. And in the last 10 years, the fitness influencers have ruined it. You know, these fitness YouTubers, they're very famous and they've made videos of them doing like 10,000 calorie challenges and they've got abs. And they're like, look at me, I'm eating a donut. You can actually eat a donut if you eat the right calories. And okay, you can be lean and eat whatever you want, fine. But when we're talking about health, the issue is that if you eat something like a donut, which is full of refined sugars, it will mess up your gut microbiome it will mess up almost like what's called the second brain of your body which is your gut it will mess that up and it will literally influence and deteriorate your genes what we eat has a huge way bigger impact on how we feel and how our brain works than what we think You know, there was a study that showed that if you give natives a Western diet, so these guys, they're not used to like Western foods, junk food or whatever, and if you give them this diet, their intelligence literally drops. The food that we eat in the West literally makes you dumber. To think that your diet doesn't really play more of a role than just calories in, calories out is so, so simplified that it may as well be wrong. I could go into a full-length rant here about diet, but that 40-minute guide that's popped up as like a card on your video screen right now, that explains it all. And so you can go on and have a look at that. Now, if you want some simple, no bullshit diet advice to follow right now, what I would suggest, I've done so much research on this. And the sad thing is that it's that totally unsexy answer. Eat a variety of vegetables, fruits, meats, nuts, whole grains. Eat healthy. It's like literally that simple. And and you know, the term healthy, is kind of messed up now from these modern companies that are marketing themselves to be healthy. But then they're actually full of garbage. They're full of like processed ingredients and refined sugars, which are classified in a different term and everything. So the only true way that you can make sure that you're eating as healthy as possible is to cook up and eat single ingredient meals. What that means is that your meal is comprised of things which are just single ingredients. For example, a potato, like literally just a potato is a single ingredient. The ingredient inside of potato is potato. In fact, potatoes don't even have an ingredient list on the bag because it's literally just potato. The same with broccoli, the same with salmon. That's what we want. We want literally just single ingredient meals. And of course, that's very different from what we're used to eating. We're used to going out to get fast food. We're used to like getting meal deals and crisp and sandwiches and processed shit from like supermarkets. We're used to all that. So of course, it's going to take some time to take a step back from this. The way I would recommend for you to do this is to choose just one meal of your day and make that a one ingredient meal. So that doesn't mean you like one meal is this, just going to be potatoes, just potatoes. It means that everything on the plate is a single ingredient by itself. So potatoes, salmon, broccoli, boom that's a meal right there. That's a lot better than, for example, having a fish burger, which has been processed and it's got so much worse things. And you might be thinking, but wait, what's the difference? Because, you know, if the macros are the same, but it's not about the macros. It's not about the calories. That's such a simple view. You would have to watch the full length because it'll take me so long to explain it again. The food you eat has probably the biggest impact on your hormones and all those processes inside your body. And you've got to think, what will be happening to your mind and body if you eat like the majority of people? You're not like them, honestly. Like you're watching a video, a 40 minute, one hour, two hour long guide on mental health. Perhaps you haven't realized this just yet, but like you are literally so different Maybe you're not at that point when, you know, you go do your own grocery shopping, but if you do and it, when you go on to, you'll notice by following videos like this, education, you're probably gonna go watch the diet guide and you're interested in like nutrition and mental health. But when you go out to like a supermarket, you're, you know, pushing your trolley around, and it's got food, you know, the groceries that you're buying. And you kind of compared your trolley to the trolley of the average person next to you. It will look very different. The trolley of like a real athlete, not a fitness YouTuber, but a real athlete, a warrior. It's just a bunch of vegetables, meat, single ingredients, some seasoning, that's it. Nuts, you know, healthy stuff like that, which is a single ingredient, all natural. And the trolley of like more of a average person is a bunch of processed shit, sugary cereal, cookies, biscuits, cakes, ready-made meals. These small choices that you make truly have a huge impact in how you feel mentally. And if you are a young man and you don't have control over your diet because your parents just make your food, what advice do I have for you? That situation does kind of suck. And more and more I'm hearing of like young guys whose parents are quite unhealthy. And so they just kind of assume this young man's gonna eat the unhealthy food too. If I was you in your position, I would hope to have the confidence to kind of like speak to them and just kind of say like, oh, like I want to eat healthier. I don't really want to eat McDonald's anymore or something and just see how that goes. And of course some parents won't be okay with that. If it's not something you can totally control, what I would do is just simply ask your parents for more single ingredient foods in your meal. So if your mom's gonna cook something and it's something Somewhat unhealthy, but you could probably tell, like, oh, can I have like more potatoes? Can I have more chicken? And if your parents are going to get you something which is unhealthy and you just need to eat it because otherwise they'll like shout at you or something and you know, they're going to get you McDonald's. What I would do is still eat it and somewhat enjoy it, but leave a little bit of it. Just eat less of it. Just kind of tell them like, oh yeah, I'm not really that hungry. I really want something healthy. I really want potatoes, just normal potatoes. I really want just normal chicken without, you know, it being in a burger or something. The second thing we said that you can do for your physical health that will improve your mental health is exercise. And this one's just really simple. You don't need me to explain explain the benefits of exercise exercise at least three times a week preferably five to six maybe even seven one thing that a lot of guys on self-improvement mess up with is that they consider their resistance training you know weightlifting calisthenics they consider that as the only kind of exercise that they do and so when you're on a weightlifting program or a calisthenics program you have rest days and you have training days and maybe you train three times a week or four or five or six days and you kind of just want to rest and not really think about exercise for the days that you're off but in fact on the rest days from weightlifting and calisthenics. You're still supposed to move your body. Our ancestors moved their bodies every single day they did some form of cardio. To maximize the mental health benefits, you should work out for at least 20 minutes, maybe every single day, and just every now and then take a full day off. But even then on that day, you still don't wanna like lounge around and just be sat on the couch and stuff and be sat on the computer chair for 10, 15 hours the day. You still wanna take time to walk a few kilometers every single day to maybe go on a quick run, to do some random like shadow boxing, just something that gets you a little bit sweaty and pumped up. And the third and very important thing with your physical health that impacts your mental health is sleep. And sleep is so like, I know I speak about it sometimes, but it is so overlooked in the majority of people. I can say for 100% certainty that your sleep is not good enough. It takes a lot of intention to really improve your sleep. And the majority of people have just accepted a lack of sleep because we're conditioned to through the education system. Like, you know, as teenagers, we need a lot more sleep. Like teenagers need more sleep than adults do. And... To make a teenager wake up for 7 a.m. is actually inhumane. If you want to really learn about the consequences of not getting enough sleep and you really want to feel a little bit anxious about this, the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker is a good resource. It kind of scares you and gives you anxiety in the sense that he'll literally just grill all the problems that will happen when you have a lack of sleep. And maybe that isn't really beneficial because sometimes then that can make you anxious when you're trying to sleep. But it can be helpful to just keep those things in mind so you realize how important sleep actually is. Since I read that, that book, I talk sleep so much more seriously, I have a sleep ring here, which I wear all the time. It's $300 and it tracks my sleep and gives me lots of data. And I'm also on a $2,500 program with these experts on sleep. And they're literally speaking to me every day, looking at the data, telling me like so many random things that I can do. Okay. Listen to this YouTube videos, like the, you know, particular sounds. Listen to this when you go to sleep and tell us, okay, we'll look at your data and we'll see how you feel. Okay. Report your, your sleep log every single day, your sleep efficiency, your REM sleep, your deep sleep, just everything. These guys are experts. And I've been working with, them for six weeks. We have a couple more weeks left. And of all the things that I've worked with with this coach, I've paid a lot of money for. I think there's three main benefits, there's three main learning lessons that you can take and you've essentially just gotten them for free. So it's like, I'm, I'm sharing the learning lessons that I got from this program with you. The number one main thing that these coaches have put onto me that I've also heard from a bunch of like experts, scientists, and there's one who's really famous on YouTube, Andrew Huberman. All these guys are saying that morning sunlight is incredibly important. It's one of like the very few non-negotiables that I have with like the sleep performance coach that I'm with, that every single morning, as soon as the sun comes out, you're outside, just kind of getting it into your eyeballs. Andrew Huberman explained this really well in a bunch of podcasts that he's done. So you can literally just search on YouTube, Andrew Huberman, morning sunlight. When you do this and you get sunlight into your eyes, first thing, as soon as you know, the sun comes out, which in the UK right now, it's about 6am. When you do this, you get it for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you'll find that you'll naturally wake up way earlier. And it's actually one of the things that just improves your health and your dopamine levels. And you know, all the sciencey stuff to such a great level. I think about why that is just think about what our ancestors did. Like they would wake up to the sunlight and just be out all day whereas we wake up and we just stay inside the only light that we see is like the light from our phones and laptops and one of the very important points that andrew huberman makes about this is that you must go outside for this you cannot stay inside and get the sunlight from like glass or anything or you know inside of a car you literally just have to be standing outside So there's a level of discomfort involved in that, but the ROI is massive. The second major thing that you can do to improve your sleep, which will improve your mental health, is to go to sleep and wake up at the exact same time every single day, even on weekends. And so this means that your wake up and your bedtime need to be reasonable and sustainable. So, for example, if you're in school or work, your wake up time could be 6 a.m. and your bedtime could be 9 p.m and that gives you a nine hour window to sleep. The majority of people mess this up because when they're forced to wake up for something like school or work, they do it. But then on the weekends when they're not, they end up having a huge lie-in, which then has like this weirdly cascading effect that even though it feels healthy to think, okay, well, you know, I like tomorrow I may as well sleep more. And sure, you might do and that might be a benefit. But then when you do sleep more, that cascading effect to how it kind of messes up the rest of your day, and then you end up going to sleep later, just gives you this lack of stability. This is what the majority of people mess up That even on weekends, any day, you should be waking up and going to sleep at pretty much the same time. And the third final thing that you can do to improve your sleep, which you've heard before, but no one has really explained this well is winding down before bed. So this is usually when someone's explaining oh how to improve your sleep, and they'll, they'll say it in such a short way, they'll be okay, it's so a wind down before bed, and you know, just don't use technology b- for two hours before bed. I would hear that advice and never really take it seriously, and you probably haven't either. Just be honest, when you've heard you've heard this before, oh you know, wind down before bed, but you've never really taken the advice, and I understand now why, because no one has ever explained why that's important, what actually happens. Specifically, what we need to do is not just you know wind down, that's not scientific. What we need to do is lower our heart rate before bed so that by the time we go to sleep, our heart rate is already at its lowest point. So when you have a tracker like this or an Apple watch and you can see data on your heart rate, what we want is to spend at least 20 minutes, if not about an hour, doing the things that drastically lower our heart rate so that when we get into bed, our heart rate is already lowered instead of our heart rate being higher and needing to lower when we're trying to sleep. So this ring is very important. This ring is called an aura ring. It's like $300. I'm not sponsored them but I think it's a very good investment and it gives you I'm going to show you some of my data to show you right this right now is data from a night where I winded down properly before bedtime I spent like an hour literally I'm going to teach you the secret technique which no one has ever spoke about in terms of winding down before bedtime but I did this I did the technique I fully winded down and you can see that my heart rate was already low as soon as I fell asleep which is fantastic so I had a good night's sleep here but then this second graph is from a night where I didn't do this full wind down procedure you can see that it takes me hours to to wind down and get my lowest heart rate. The most effective way to wind down before bedtime, I have found, this is weirdly, weirdly specific, is to literally lie down on the floor. For some reason, the floor works so much better than your bed. Lie down on the floor, face up, no pillow, literally just like starfish on the floor, like you would at the end of a yoga session, and then follow like a very long meditation guide. So again, I'll have a follow along meditation YouTube video uploaded, and it will show us a card on screen, so click on that right now. Before bedtime, lie down on the floor Floor for like 20 minutes maybe 40 minutes maybe an hour and literally just follow some kind of like deep breathing exercise it's just so interesting meditating lying down feels a hundred times better than trying to do it whilst like sat up awkwardly and your back kind of hurts and everything lying down on the floor just Feel feels so nice for some reason. I don't know if I'm just weird about this, but if you try this tonight, half an hour before you're supposed to go to bed, lie down on the floor and literally just focus on breathing, eyes closed, no phone, no nothing, no pillow, literally just starfish on the floor and then do your nighttime routine, get into bed. And you'll find that you're already rested. And so when you do fall asleep, it's like your heart rate was already relaxed instead of needing to spend hours to relax. Social connection kind of means like having friends and family and people that you have some kind of emotional attachment to around you, people who you spend time with. There's a book on a Japanese concept and it it says that the single greatest aspect of longevity is social connection. Longevity means living longer. The single greatest way to live longer is to have friends. If we flip that around and we have to discuss the lack of friends, loneliness. Chances are you've experienced bouts of loneliness, those periods where you don't physically spend time to anyone that you really, really care about. You don't really have like a bunch of close male friends who you feel like you can trust. You perhaps don't have like a girlfriend, love or intimacy or affection. Your family aren't around or maybe if your family are around, you don't have like a great relationship. You don't even hug each other. You don't even tell each other that you you love each other. All of these things greatly will influence your mental health. I'd say loneliness is kind of like sleep deprivation in that it makes 100% of your life So for this part of the guide, we do have to discuss the ability to make and maintain friends, which is easier said than done. But there is a mindset in regards to making friends that might help you significantly. And that's to realize that making friends and maintaining friends comes down to your social skills. And your social skills is kind of like a skill in a video game. So remember when we used to play video games and you have like skills that you could level up. And so you start at level one or level zero and then you have to keep doing like certain activities or tasks and you gain experience. Remember in games, experience is shortened to XP. So you gain XP in this skill and then you level it up over time. And then as you get a higher level, you get more of the rewards of that skill. Well, social skills are just that, a skill. You'll do very well if you start seeing life as a video game. And one of the very, very important skills which the majority of us have spent zero time leveling up is our social skills We understand how nice it is to have friends But the majority of us have never even put in an hour into leveling up our social skills And just like in a video game, there's a two-step process to level up So we pick the skill that we want to level up in this case It's social skills or in a video game like RuneScape, it's magic And the first thing that we need to do before we can really even level it up is that we have to actually just simply learn what actually gets you experience in this skill. So when you first start a video game, it's like you have to click on like the informational card, you know, you click on like the magic skill and it says, oh, well, you can gain magic experience by using this spell or doing this or this. That's the same thing we have to do with social skills. We have to actually learn what improves our social skills. And we can categorize certain activities that will gain us social skills experience. So that this becomes very much like a game. For example, I'd say, Holding eye contact and smiling at a stranger it gives you 20 social skills experience. Stopping to have a chat with them, if you initiated the chat, gives you 100 social skills experience. Conducting yourself well in that conversation with this stranger gives you 200 social skills experience. You get like a whole level up if you do that. Getting rejected but maintaining a good positive mindset gives you 500 social skills experience. All we need to do is get out into a social environment and practice things like eye contact, smiling, speaking to strangers, having like a slightly longer conversation with the cashier at a shop. And then we can level it up. We can purposely go and try and get rejected by people. We can just go and ask people almost like silly questions just for the sake of experiencing some level of discomfort. You could go into a store, and ask them, can I have that TV for free? And of course, they're gonna say no, but you weren't really trying to get the TV. You just wanted to experience the discomfort of just being in a social situation and getting rejected by someone. Congratulations, just by doing that weird activity, your social skills has just went up an entire level. The higher level that you have in your social skills, the way more easier you'll find it to meet new friends and also to maintain those friendships in a way more valuable relationship than you've ever had before. You need some humility right here, right now. And I know this is gonna hurt. If you're watching a video like this, Your social skills are trash. I'm never going to sugarcoat anything for you. When you click onto my channel, I will always tell you the total truth. I'd say 95% of people's social skills are absolutely trash. I would say mine are decent now, and I've been actively working on improving them for a little while. Answer this question honestly, have you read books on social skills? Have you taken courses on social skills? Have you went out? Have you literally left your house with the intention? Okay, I'm gonna gain some experience in my social skills because the majority of people have never done that. Now, interestingly, there's a group of popular social people who have never necessarily improved their social skills. They've never, you know, left their house thinking about social skills. They've never read a social skills book. And so you might be wondering, wait, they have not had to level theirs, but they're really popular, so what gives? Well, some people, are quite fortunate enough to start with a positive feedback loop when they're young. You know, like they were just raised right and they just had like a cute baby face or something when they're five years old in primary school. And so everyone was kind of nice to them. They were nice to everyone else and it's a positive feedback loop. And you know, they go through school kind of feeling kind of popular because they're just a nice bright kid to spend time with. Chances are, if you're watching this video, you're not that person. So we have to put in some more intention into leveling up this very valuable skill. I've made videos on social skills and I've even done a full Skillshare class on social skills. Like a one hour in something masterclass on social skills, which I'll have pop up as a card. So click that right now if you want to gain more knowledge on leveling up your social skills. At this point, a lot of young men ask the same question and it might even be in your mind right now. Where do I go to meet friends? This question has been asked to me so many times and so many young men are always wondering, okay, you know, where do I go? And your know, answers are always cliche and stereotypical, oh, go to the gym or try in school or go, to, go for a walk and stuff. This question and therefore the answers are fundamentally not valuable. The question is the wrong thing to ask. You should never be asking, where do I go to meet friends? You should instead change the question to, who do I become to meet friends? I don't want to go into a full rant, but in the modern day, we are very, very weak. We're very weak and we seek Comfort and quick results and instant gratification. So a lot of people and probably you and probably me for the, the longest time of my life We wanted to know simply just okay, where can we go to make it easy? Where can we go to like there's just an abundance of friends just wait, waiting for us to meet them? That's not how it works You can't just search for the quick shortcut and ask people where can I go where it's easy to make friends and then someone says oh Go to a martial arts club or oh, go to the gym it's, that this never works. This advice never ever works for people. You know why? Someone will recommend to you go to a martial arts club to make friends because that's where they've made friends, right? You go, you've got a low level in social skills, and then you become that kind of awkward guy in the martial arts club who kind of comes in at the right time, you know, gets changed, does the session, gets changed, and then goes off. You won't become that social butterfly guy in there just simply because you've shown up to the environment. It's not about where you go, it's about who you are. So you need some humility right now and really honestly answer this question. Have you made good new friends over the last few months? Do you often get into really nice, deep, loving, spontaneous conversations with strangers? Because if you don't, that symbolizes that you have quite a low level in your social skills. And that is the thing to focus on, not just simply like, oh wait, where should I go to make friends? It's who you should become, so let's ask that question. Who should you become to make more friends? If you want the mental health benefit of being surrounded by like a group of guys who actually really care about you, who wanna grow with you, because that's so incredibly important. You know, I told you my journey at the start of this video, When I left the city that I spent a bunch of time with, when, you know, I turned into like a a fuck boy, a party boy and I was taking drugs and I moved back home to my family's house. I moved home and I didn't speak to anyone. I wasn't using social media. I didn't even tell any of my old friends that I moved back home. I was just back home and I was just by myself for months and months and months. I didn't even speak. I, I didn't even have literally A single friend. I was reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And as soon as I would learn something from it, I would set the book down. So, you know, I learned like, okay, if you smile, people will like you more. If you ask someone a question based on what they're interested in instead of you, they'll like you more. I would learn something small like this. I would set the book down and I would literally walk out of my house and go and use whatever I had just learned on a stranger nearby. I went from having just really weird, trash social skills because I spent like two years smoking weed all day, every day. So my social skills were just trash. You know, my brain would just kind of like go blank when I'd be speaking to people. And I just slowly started to level it up and gain social skills experience. And you know, I was very busy and determined at the time. So I didn't necessarily feel that bad. i've literally got private videos of myself that i would record on my phone you know like videos that i've never released to youtube and it's literally just me speaking to like me and i'm just kind of saying like oh you know life's going really good i've stopped smoking weed my diet's really improved with this one major problem like i'm just lonely i wish i had like some boys like a brother to train with in the gym i wish i had people to talk to after the youtube channel started to grow and i hired my first employee after a little while We would hop on like video calls and, you know, just start laughing about stuff. And like, we ended up becoming very, very good friends. And he's my best friend to this day. His name's Sam. I wish for you to have what I have with him. A close male best friend who you can consider kind of like a brother who has your back, who you know for a fact would literally fight for you. That's incredibly valuable. A guy that you can be totally authentic with. A guy that you can message to say like, oh bro, I feel like shit. It's social valuable, but you need a certain level of social skills to be able to attract that kind of person. Because the person that you wanna be friends with has to want to be friends with you. So if you take a minute right now to think about what kind of guy you wanna be friends with. Just like almost visualize him. He's, he's funny, he, he talks like this, he has these values. This is how you spend time with him. You hop on like Discord calls or maybe you meet in person, you go to the gym. Imagine the friend that you wanna make and then imagine from his point of view, who he wants to be friends with. I know this sounds horrible, but that guy probably doesn't wanna be friends with like a depressed, sad, anxious young man. He doesn't wanna be friends with like a really lazy guy who's negative, who complains all the time. He wants to be friends with a guy who's quite upbeat and encouraging, who thinks about him, who like talks to him in a supportive way. He wants to be friends with a guy who's funny. He wants to be friends with a guy who's got a level of like carefreeness, who's not overthinking all the time. He wants to be friends with a guy who seems happy, who smiles, who takes an interest in him, who invites him to do some fun things. Could that be you? Because a lot of us, we have this like, this kind of personality where we can't see our weaknesses and we don't realize this. A lot of us don't really bring that much to the table in terms of friendship. I can admit for a very long time, I was one of these people. It takes a certain level of confidence and humility for you, but you would get my respect for this. If you held your hand up and you just said, you know what, I probably don't bring that much value to a friendship right now. I'm probably not that like fun to be around. I should improve on that because a lot of young guys have this kind of really sad, depressed outlook on friendship. And they're like, oh, you know, it's so hard to make friends and I don't trust anyone anyway. I'm a lone wolf. But they never have the humility to just think, yeah, like if I was a better person, people would want to be friends with me. So I know that this is a very hard to swallow pill and it's not very positive. You know, I'm kind of making you say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit. And that's why no one wants to be friends with me. But sometimes you have to admit to yourself, yeah, like I am a little bit of a piece of shit. I'm always quite self-interested. I don't really ask good questions to the other people. Take an interest in them. I don't really smile. I find that awkward. I'm not funny. I'm not even that much of a nice person. I'm not very supportive. I always forget things about my friends. Because if you can admit these things, then you can make progress on them. You should right now have a new goal or intention in mind, which is to level up your social skills. Your social skills are literally the skill of meeting and making friends. If you want my help with that, again, I'll have like my social skills videos and masterclass come up on the screen somewhere. Also if you want to make friends online you can join our Discord server that will be linked in the description. I think we have around 80,000 young men who have joined this server. We're all on self-improvement, we're all talking about social skills and mental health and discipline and no fapping. You know there's a bunch of guys from age 12 to like 25, 30 you'll probably find some people to speak to in there. One of my mods in this server has also created his own platform where people can come together and actually do in real life meetups. So information about that will also be in the Discord server. So if you're interested in that, you join the Discord server and then there's like a separate platform to literally say, okay, which city are you in? And there's a bunch of other people in the same city as you and they're literally saying like, oh boys, like let's all get a day pass at this gym over there and we can all join together. That's like one of the most beautiful things I've seen someone do and like someone create on self-improvement so shout out this mod's name on his discord name is agro7 so shout out to him for making this so let's talk about your environment and particularly nature and sunlight and having a sense of adventure i think these are very interesting environmental factors to talk about and they'll significantly improve your mental health if you utilize them correctly as always i want to give you the bro science explanation for why things like nature sunlight and adventure make us feel mentally healthy if you imagine how our ancestors lived thousands of years ago. They spent all of their time out in nature. They would wake up at sunrise and literally be in the sun totally naked all day up until the sun went down. There's so many like new health benefits that are arising from people saying like, oh yeah, like, you know, we should get sunlight on our, on our poles and our, our asshole and stuff. Like people, like there's real scientific studies which are showing like your, your testosterone goes through the roof if you get sunlight on your testicles with no clothes on. Our ancestors were living like that just 24 seven. And they were exploring. When I hear like the great tales of how humanity started, and I believe it started like somewhere in Africa and you know, there was tribes. Eventually a small group from this tribe led by a strong man decided to just adventure outward. And that's the story of every community, every tribe of humanity. It's adventure, it's travel. And we don't really do that these days. We travel to work or to the gym, but that doesn't really count. That's that's not even traveling or adventure, that's commuting. When was the last time you went on an adventure? Like a real, real adventure. When was the last time you left your house and didn't know where you were going to end up? Be honest. I like to think of the world, like the map around us. Kind of like the map from Grand Theft Auto. You remember those games GTA 5 or GTA 3 or GTA San Andreas. And you'd click on the map on this game. And wherever you had previously been to would be sort of visible on this map. And anywhere that you hadn't discovered would be blacked out gray. So the idea is, okay, the map pretty much starts off as just blacked out. And as you explore more and more and more, the map kind of gets like opened up and you can see where you've been. If you imagine the map of your area around your home, your city, you feel like you probably discovered, you know, quite a lot. But if you just imagine that map, just like a GTA San Andreas map, there's a bunch of blacked out streets. Like there is a street two minutes away from you right now that you have never even seen before. There is a house, there's a building that your eyes have never witnessed before literally within a one to two minute walk. How crazy is that? You may have lived at your address at your home for five years, 10 years, 20 years, two years. And there's something that you haven't even seen 30 seconds away. Do you feel some level of excitement when you think about this? I almost get like an urge to quickly like slip my trainers on and just go see that random building that I've not seen. This is what we're supposed to do as humans. We're supposed to be in awe of like the natural beauty around us. We're supposed to go for a long walk in nature and not just be glued to our phones or to be overthinking, but to literally look and appreciate that one particular tree that, like, just for some reason, your brain, your body, your soul really likes amongst all the other trees. You're supposed to go out like a child and, like, pick your favorite leaf off from a tree or from the floor and literally just look at it and examine it and just think how beautiful it is. When was the last time you really, like, picked a leaf? and actually really, really looked at it. Perhaps one of the reasons why we feel so mentally unhealthy. We're just walking around and just navigating life in a haze just deep in our own thoughts instead of appreciating the beauty around us. Something about being in nature, especially amongst big, vast open spaces like I'm in right now, I'm in Scotland, I'm staying on a farm, I'm in like a mountainous area. Like you you can't see it right now, but there's a bunch of mountains way there. Something about being in this open space with this mountains around, it does something amazing to my mind. On the way here, my mind is thinking about YouTube. It's thinking about drama. It's thinking about, you know, small tactics and tasks that I can do. We can implement. Oh, I've got to send a message to this guy. Oh, I've got to write this thing down. Small things. And as soon as I get out into the vastness of nature, my mind broadens up and I can't help but think about the grand scale of things. I get out into the mountains and my brain just starts automatically thinking about fatherhood. It starts thinking about long-term plans. Where would I live five years from now? Where would I raise children? What's the next generation going to be like? What are the boys... Five years old today, what are they struggling with? Do they have mental health problems? Were they thrown an iPad when they were three years old? What will the generation of those boys become 20 years from now? I'm thinking about these grand things when I'm out in the grandness of the vast open space of nature. And yet we spend most of our days indoors, tiny little rooms, just staring into like a tiny little phone screen or computer screen like you're doing right now. And then we wonder why our mental health is so bad and like our thinking is so consumed by like small things. And this part of the guide in terms of nature, sunlight and adventure, it's it's very, very close to my heart. Because again, that story that I've told you about that I was living in a city and I was just waking up and smoking weed and I was just staying in the apartment all day because there was the COVID lockdown. If you could almost like imagine how I was living, you know, I'm living in this like small apartment with a girl that I didn't really even like. I'm waking up and just smoking weed straight away. I'm jacking off, I'm fapping just in the other room, even though I've got like a girlfriend there, I'm literally, that's how fucked my mental health was. I was just addicted to porn, just staying in like the computer room all day. And then think about the difference from that. And then I move home and suddenly like this idea of adventure just popped into my mind and I'm I'm going out and actually looking at like these vast open spaces with like a sense of a childish awe. And I started to go on like small adventures. I bought outdoor gym equipment, like I bought like equipment that I could train, you know, my muscles with and I would put it into a backpack and I would literally just go for like a long walk or a jog, just trying to find somewhere to train. And I would always try to choose a new place to train. And I'd end up like walking into like little forest and there's, you know, like a stream of water. And I challenged myself to like jump across it. When you imagine that new life that I was, you know, jumping across these puddles and, you know, challenging myself like, oh, that looks kind of far. I don't know if I can make it compared to just waking up in the small little room and just smoking weed every day is it any wonder that the majority of people who just stay in these small like houses small rooms who just stare at their computer screens and don't go outside, don't get sunlight. Is it any wonder why the majority of these kinds of people are depressed? As a simple rule that you can follow, go and do the things that you did as a child. You'd go play out with your friends. You just go kick a ball around. you would jump over puddles, you'd climb a tree. When was the last time that you climbed a tree? I know this sounds silly, but like you're, you feel kind of depressed right now. Imagine if you go climb a tree. I don't think you can be depressed when you're literally climbing a tree. I think that's the instant cure that you needed. <laughs> I think this section of the guide sounds really exciting and awesome. Okay, like, you know, nature, sunlight, adventure, fine. But you need a practical way to implement this, otherwise you're just gonna feel kind of motivated and hype watching this video and then your life isn't gonna change. You need a practical way that you can implement getting more nature, sunlight and adventure. And the way that I did it, which will probably work for you, is to start getting into long distance cardio. Now, chances are, if you're watching my videos, you might already be into going to the gym and doing weightlifting or calisthenics, or you might not be. But either way, you should really consider like the benefits of doing long distance cardio. I'm not talking about sprints and I'm not talking about like, you know, going to the gym and just putting in the work on the treadmill. Like that, that always just is really weird for me. Like people just go to the gym unless you just go jog on the treadmill for like 30 minutes Why? Chug outside, bro. (laughs) But long distance cardio. And so essentially go on a very long run and start tracking how far you run. So there's apps that you can get on your phone that you just search like running app. There's like a Nike app and pretty much all those big brands, Nike, Everlast, whatever. They've all got one, which is just for like running. And Under Armour has a good one that I use. Under Armour running app. If you search that onto App Store, I'm pretty sure it'd come up. And you just press start and it starts tracking like your map and sees how far you've run. Get into long distance running and start like challenging yourself to get to like 5k, 10k. You could probably do that in six months from now. But one very important part to get not only the benefits of the long distance cardio, but specifically the benefits of this part of the guide of nature, sunlight and adventure. It's to focus more on the adventure rather than the actual cardio. So go out for a run, go out for a long walk, go out for a bike ride, but don't think to yourself, okay, you know, I'm only doing this just to get like calories or whatever. Think to yourself, okay, I'm actually going out for the purpose of adventure and my vehicle for that is running or cycling. So that means that it's okay, for example, you're running, you know, you're jogging, just looking around, being adventurous. There's a street that you've never went down, but you're pretty sure it's like, it's closed off. So you'd have to just literally run there, run back. And so it's not necessarily efficient for like cardio or burn. Calories because you'd rather just run straight forward in a straight line. But you're like, nah, fuck it, come on. Like I just want like a sense of adventure and excitement. You go there, look around. Oh wow, like I've never seen that building before and then run backwards. So technically the amount of calories you burn doing this will be a little bit less than if you just focus on like just running on the treadmill or something. But the mental health benefit of just exploring and being in the outdoors and seeing things that you've never seen before is massive. And one final extra benefit of exploring with adventure and being outdoors, it puts you into a flow state. So remember previously in this sky, we spoke about the flow state being a moment of intense presence, a lack of like thoughts in your mind. You just focus on what's happening right now. But when you're experiencing some kind of adventure and you're looking around at a building that you've never seen it, like a park or a tree that you've never seen, your mind's probably gonna be relatively quiet which again will greatly improve your mental health. Kindness is another tool that you can use to improve your mental health. And I learned this from this free online course named The Science of Wellbeing. This instructor, like this professor, has made this course online talking about mental health. And she brought in this study which showed that people are actually happier if they spend money on others rather than themselves. So in this study, a participant are given like $5 and they're instructed, okay, go spend it on yourself, go buy like a latte from Starbucks or something. Or another group of participants are given $5 and they're instructed, okay, go buy a gift for a friend, go buy a latte from Starbucks for their friend. And they found a way bigger happiness increase for the people who spent money on their friends. And we know this too, being kind and generous makes us feel good about ourselves. There's a very interesting conclusion that we can come to. There's literally a higher ROI return on investments to being generous with your money your time your compliments than it is to be reserved like the money that you could spend on someone and of course you know it's all relative so if you're in a different country you don't have to spend the equivalent of five dollars it was all relative to the country that you're in so essentially if you spent the equivalent of around 20 minutes of the minimum wage of your country on a friend that would probably be able to get you like a coffee a drink a bottle of water or something like that If you got that for a friend and say, oh, I've got this for you. You would feel happier about that than if you got it for yourself. And you can scale this up massively. So that study just spoke about, you know, a small gift of like $5 buying a drink from Starbucks for someone. But you can be a very purposeful, work-driven young man and be quite charitable, or do some kind of work that helps others. I personally have found one of the greatest mental health benefits for my own self from the work that I do for this YouTube channel. I spend quite a while, and of course, you know, it's quite profitable for me, you know, to increase my status, I feel good about the success that I've built, the income that I've got. But the work that I do here is very purposeful. And when I receive comments and messages and emails and voice notes, and when I had Instagram, I don't have Instagram anymore, but like when I did have Instagram, I would receive, honestly, 20 messages a day. Direct messages of people just saying like, you've saved my life, you've changed my life. Thank you so much for your videos, never stop uploading. That made me feel amazing about myself. Kindness and generosity is linked to this feeling of being needed. And that's so utterly important. And we don't really have that, like we live in very weird individualistic times what i mean by individualistic is that we're all kind of like separate people and we no longer see ourselves as being part of like a tribe even in your country your community you don't really think like oh yeah well this is this is my my man you know he's in the same country as me that means we're on the same team you don't really think that we don't have tribes anymore we're not really close-knit anymore and religion was an amazing way of life for this because we felt like we were in the same tribe as everyone that we went to church with. And we don't have that. The majority of people aren't very religious these days. We don't really have like a sense of community that makes us feel important. And so for the majority of young men, perhaps a reason why you don't feel so great is because you kind of know, you kind of feel that if you disappeared, nothing would really happen. Of course, like, you know, your parents, your family would be upset. Your friend would be upset. But like in terms of the greater community, the majority of people wouldn't even realize if you just disappeared and i know that seems really scary it seems really dark to talk about but that's something that remember we have to like kind of talk and sort of admit these things out loud and then aim to change them if we bottle them up and if we don't express these thoughts of humility to ourselves where we discuss our weaknesses our weak points then we'll never make progress we need to hold our hands up as young men and say you know what i'm not even involved in my community that if i just left today no one would even realize That I'm not even doing any purposeful work that's changing the world in any positive way. I'm just working some minimum wage job in like some place that I don't even care about. I'm not even helping anyone. There's not of my friends who really need me. It's so important that you become the kind of man who is needed. You become the kind of man who is doing such good work for other people that people need you. Because when you're needed, you can't help but feel this level of like security, abundance, happiness, fulfillment, freedom for yourself. When you're not needed, when you're just another like average guy who's working like, you know, some job that doesn't really matter and you just spend your free time online and you're not really doing anything, it feels like life is a bit meaningless and pointless. And this is where symptoms of depression arise. And so consider being kind, consider being purposeful, consider being generous, consider doing things for other people, for helping them to such a good level that you will feel that you are needed That you will feel that other people are relying on you and even though that's a level of pressure and responsibility it's a good thing men are built from responsibility men are built from pressure so many young guys are just living life without responsibility they just wake up go to school go to work and then just come home and just spend all day online and then they complain why they're depressed you need to take responsibility for someone else to become a man if you are not responsible for someone else right now i hate to say it but you are not a man you're a guy you're a boy You turn into a man when you take the responsibility of other people. And interesting like masculine things will happen to you when you take responsibility of other people. I couldn't grow a beard for most of my life. All the men in my family could grow a full beard at age 16 to 18. I'm age 21, still can't grow one. But then I started this YouTube channel. I started working for the other guys that I care about. I started being purposeful. I started leading a mission of young men, improving themselves and suddenly I can grow a glorious beard. You will become more masculine. You will feel more like a man. You will feel purposeful when you start helping others. The reason why I'm speaking with so much emotion and conviction right now is because I wish I could speak to younger Hamza. I wish I could tell him. He doesn't even realize this, but I wish I could tell him that he's quite selfish. And I don't say that as an insult. It's just an objective fact. He only cared about himself. True progress comes when you start thinking about other people and what's interesting, when you think about helping someone else, you actually help yourself to such a greater level. It's so easy to think, oh, I don't have the capacity to help someone else. I don't have enough money to help someone else. What's interesting is that if you help someone else with their fitness, with their diet. Your diet will automatically improve. If you start helping your fat friend lose weight, I guarantee your diet will improve more than you've ever seen it before because now you're a leader and now you've got a responsibility to be a role model. We as men need some kind of self-transcending purpose. Transcending means bigger than us. We need a purpose, a mission, some work, some goals that is bigger than us, that involves helping other people. For the last two years I've dedicated my life to what you see here. I make this joke quite often to my friends, I left the nine to five, you know, the nine to five rat race. I left the nine to five. Now I work five to nine. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I literally just work up until around 9 p.m. I can't stop. I don't want to stop. It's like my brain is so focused on this because I I honestly feel like I'm changing the world with this work that I do. I feel like I'm saving hundreds of men thousands of men that makes me feel mentally happy it makes me feel so important and we need that kind of feeling and you shouldn't belittle yourself right now and think oh well Hamza can do it because he's got a youtube channel but i don't have one is i started with nothing as well so ask yourself right now in what ways can you be kind and generous to others it can be as simple as buying like a, a bottle of water for your friend. It can be as simple as tipping a waitress or it could be bigger. You could ask yourself, okay, what purposeful work could I dedicate my life to that would help other people? If you really want this guide to help you, perhaps just pause the video and really ask yourself that question. What purposeful work could I dedicate my life to which would help other people? Pause the video and really ask yourself that question. Journal it. Write it down. What are ways that you can help your community, your tribe? Because when you help your tribe and you feel important, it's like you're aligned to like this natural, animalistic, social hierarchy aspect of ourselves. When you move up the social hierarchy of men, you know, your status increases. You just begin to feel so much better. And you do that through a self-transcending purpose and being kind. For the final part of this guide, I wanna discuss trauma and PTSD. So I said before that the majority of people, the mental health problems that they have usually just come down to like depression and anxiety, depressive symptoms and anxious symptoms. And that usually comes way more from literally just modern day habits. A lot of people don't like to hear this. A lot of people like to think that they've got like some biological issue or anything. But the majority of people who are depressed or anxious are like that simply because of their habits. And if you can accept that and think to yourself, yeah, like I actually don't have any biological reason to be depressed or anything. It's just simply because I've been indulging in instant gratification. I've been watching porn for for six hours a day. So of course I feel depressed. But if there is something a lot more severe than these habitual mental illnesses. And that is trauma. Trauma is a very significant, dangerous experience, which changes you forever. So this is not just, you know, oh, like I, I play too much video games and that's why I feel depressed. So, you know, my diet's really shit and that's why I feel really anxious because, you know, I'm eating fried Western food and that's fucking up my gut microbiome. Trauma, we could say, It it causes PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So trauma is, for example, you're walking through the the street one night alone and suddenly out of nowhere, you just get fucking punched. You drop to the floor and people are kicking you, robbing you, could be being in a car crash. These are things that can cause trauma in people. And the research on trauma and the psychologists who have written books on them, the wording that they use is that trauma may may be curable or at least the symptoms of trauma can be relieved. And there's good treatment now for trauma. Things like EMDR. It's like a form of therapy. You like see the therapist and they do stuff like this and it just helps you like process the events. And uh, traditional talking therapy sometimes can help. There's more complicated versions of trauma which are no longer just one event. So, you know, like you could get trauma from a car crash. That's one event or, you know, you've been mugged, you've been attacked, that's an event. There's such a thing called complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And complex PTSD, CPTSD, is where you will go through lots of traumatic incidents. And it's pretty much always down to childhood abuse. So when you're a child and you're totally dependent on your parents, but your parent is being abusive, your parent shouts at you, threatens you, slaps you, emotionally neglects you, sexually abuses you, there's no escape from that when you're a child, generally. This can become a lot more severe and it's actually estimated that, uh, I'm not sure the exact figure, but a lot of people have experienced childhood abuse. I believe it's like one in four and maybe more. Chances are, oh, if you're watching this video and you've gotten a bunch of the symptoms that we talk about, and you very clearly know your mental health is bad. If you think back to your childhood experience with your parents, What was it like? There's very clear signs of abuse, like a parent screaming at you, slapping you, threatening you, hurting you. And there's also somewhat invisible signs of abuse, things like emotional neglect, essentially believing that your parents just didn't really love you. And a lot of us have experienced that. And the reason why this is so damaging is because when you're a child, you soak up everything. You believe everything that your parent says and does. So what goes on to a child's mind when the child is being beaten or hurt or screamed or threatened or ignored by their parents? It's like your brain convinces you that you're a bad person, you're worthless, you're not worthy of love. It's very tricky for me to give you real good advice here because this is something that I'm on my own journey to to improve on. I have symptoms and like... The understanding that I have CPTSD, complex PTSD, because of childhood abuse, and um, the more I look into it, the more I work into it, the more I become aware of just how many symptoms I have, the way that I behave in relationships, the physical symptoms of just anxiety and stress and hypervigilance and faster heartbeats, and you know I, I track my heart rate on this, my heart rate's way higher than it should be at like athlete performance. Like my heart rate should be about 45. It's actually about 60. My heart rate variability, HRV is very low. It should be maybe double what it is. And we think that this is probably caused from things like trauma. So if you feel like you have trauma or CPTSD here, I've done a fair amount of research on this and it's off my understanding right now, there's kind of like two methods that you can use to improve symptoms of trauma and CPTSD, and these are called top-down and bottom-up. Essentially what this means is that the the top-down model is that we start and we focus on the brain, and if we do things that improve our brain, it will help the rest of our body. And then likewise, the other approach is that if we start bottom-up, we do things that improve our body and that will help our brain. So this is where trauma treatments, like self-help treatments can come in. Things like journaling and therapy, change your brain, especially things like, for example, CBT can help you with these like cognitive neurological wiring of beliefs and you know, like all brain sciencey stuff. When you change your brain, your body can respond. And we've discussed a lot of this in this guide. So for example, in the physical health section of this guide, we've essentially explained the bottom up method of relieving cptsd which is okay we focus on the body we can focus on things like sunlight diet exercise and these are all bodily things that we can focus on which then improve our brain and then likewise we can switch it around and we can do things that improve our brain things like journaling things like being in love things like therapy and those things can help us ease the symptoms that we get in our body. To be honest, I'm not sure if I really have good advice for this section of the guide because I'm still learning as I go along. And this is a very, very complicated subject. You know, mental health, I think, especially mental health that's come from poor modern habits is something that I've gained a good level of experience on, but with complex PTSD and trauma, it's a it's a whole new ballgame. What I can say is If you do relate to having CPTSD or trauma, be grateful for it. I wouldn't be here where I am today if it wasn't for the experiences that I had in childhood. Because I have CPTSD, because I went through childhood abuse, I am the man I am today and I have such a focus on things like mental health and self-improvement that then I've been able to come online and teach these things. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm I'm glad how my life has turned out. And so of course that means all of the bad things too. That's the one thing I can suggest to you is, is find a way to feel grateful and to almost rewrite the story of your trauma, your abuse. Rewrite it and take control of it. Instead of it's, you know, something unfortunate that happened to you, rewrite it and think to yourself, yeah, like I'm grateful for it because I used it as an opportunity to accelerate and slingshot myself and to make more progress. We're just gonna go through some questions that some people have asked me related to mental health. We have a question from Night King. Hey Hamza, silly question, but how do you always find something to talk about with people you meet every once in a while? My mind goes completely blank, so I struggle with starting such continuing conversations. So Night King has asked, how do you find something to talk about with everyone that you see? and i would actually change the, this question because a lot of young men ask this question like how do you not run out of things to say and i always tell them no no no, you're asking the wrong question it's not that you should be asking how to not run out of things to say it's that you should be asking how to be comfortable with silence in a conversation whenever i speak to someone especially a young guy who's feeling a little bit nervous i always know that he hasn't really leveled up his social skills when he just keeps talking and talking and talking and you know he's just talking about everything he's flipping around subject. it's totally fine in a conversation to just stop If you have nothing to say, it's authentic for you to say nothing. Ardorga, what would you say to someone struggling mentally being in school and considering dropping out? And what are your views on dropping out of school, specifically high school? We'll focus on his question about someone struggling mentally in school. School is, I have a very negative opinion of school and the education system. And a lot of the times you hear like YouTubers or creators talk about this, they always like pussy around it and everything. I'm very very serious in my criticism of the education system, especially in the West. I think it's it's been bastardized and I don't think it's actually helpful for students. I don't think a student comes out at age 18 actually educated on anything worthwhile. They don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to do their taxes. They don't know how to get into a relationship. They don't even know how to work hard or be productive by themselves. They they know nothing. And the pressure that goes on for students is absolutely abysmal. How students are being made to just revise for these extremely high pressure, high stress, Exams that this hold will determine the rest of their lives. Bro, I could rant about this stuff for a while. I really think the education system needs to be reformed. Perhaps I'll be the one to do it 10 20 years from now if I get into like politics or something. What would I say to someone struggling mentally in school? You're not alone. That's the common experience of all the students around you. Another thing I would say is that you're not special. The same things that will improve everyone else's mental health will do yours too. A lot of students, with their poor mental health and lack of judgment, Incorrectly give up the things that would actually keep them mentally healthy, that then would improve their studies and their results. So, for example, if you're a student right now and you've been struggling, you're really pressured, and your mental health is not so great, you know the worst thing that you could do because of this pressure of the exams coming up is to stop the mental health practices. Is, for example, to start limiting your sleep and sleeping five hours a night or six hours or seven hours a night instead of getting a full night of rest. Maybe you stop spending time with your friends because you really want to focus. It's actually the things that would improve your mental health that will get you the highest grades in school. And I know this seems really weird, but I recommend all students to not study for more than like six hours a day, which is a big shock to a lot of students because they're like, wait, wait, wait. The culture here is to study for 10 hours. No, 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 no. The culture of the average to slightly higher than average performers is to study 12 hours a day. But the absolute top students on any country are always studying around six hours. And then they spend some time with their friends and their family and they get a full night of rest they eat clean, nutritious food, they exercise every day, they get sunlight adventure. Keep up the things that improve your mental health. Fred's plays. Hey Hamza, I've recently been seeing progress in the gym and it feels amazing, but I found myself more and more comparing my progress to others and generally feeling less satisfied with my progress seeing as others have made such greater. Any advice on how I should go about stopping myself from over comparing and causing myself to feel self-conscious? Lot of love bro. This is a very interesting question and I don't think a lot of people know this. But comparing yourself to others is an absolutely fundamentally normal part of the human existence. You've probably seen all these like cliche, like feel good, you know, these influencers and all these instagram quotes like oh don't compare yourself to others just compare yourself to who you were yesterday that's that's irrelevant that's not how humans work we will always compare against others just the issue is that now we have too many people to compare against thousands of years ago we were in tribes of around 150 our communities was 150 people and so if you compared yourself to the men in that tribe there was probably 20 30 men that you compared yourself to and that was a good thing that helped you excel but now we have too many people that we can compare with our tribes are st- Still technically 150. It always will be the weird number for, for human connection is about 150. It always will be in terms of our physical lives, but then online we see too many people that we can connect with. So. Fred plays into anyone else watching this. If you find yourself comparing against others, it isn't that, you know, this concept of, oh, I'm comparing myself against others and I've got to stop. No, no, no. Comparing yourself against others is very normal. It's just that you're seeing too many people who your brain is convincing that, okay, they're in our tribe too. So the real way to stop comparing yourself to others is actually to stop spending so much time on the internet. And that in turn, especially if it means reduced social media time, is gonna be one of the greatest things that you do for your mental health. So that was my full guide to improving your mental health. And if you've made it this far of the video, if you've especially done the practical, actionable steps that I've mentioned, then good on you. You have my respect for getting this far in a topic that is so deeply important to me personally. Improving my mental health has changed my life forever and it's something that I will always, always maintain. The life that I get to live now, a life of success, love, joy, I'll never go back. I hope you'll join me on this lifelong journey of maintaining these good habits that will keep us just mentally healthy and to understand that your mental health is the greatest asset that you will have. That's not something to overlook. Any time that you spend learning about or improving your mental health, will pay off tenfold once again there was a bunch of things that i've said that i've linked in this video in the cards and stuff so you can have a look at all of that if you haven't taken the mental health test or you want to see more videos from me i've linked them all below if you feel like this video may have changed your life then make sure you save it somewhere and you can probably recap it four months from now six months from now you might have like forgotten some things so you can save it so you're like watch later I think it helps the YouTube algorithm if you comment and if you leave a like on the video. I It's always cringe saying that, but if you do wanna like help this video perform and you know other men finding it, then you can do, like you can spam the comments or you can like it or you can share it with your friends. You can subscribe to this channel if you wanna see more videos like this. My name is Hamza Ahmed. I'm leading a movement of young men who are just so totally focused on improving their lives. And if you're interested in that, you can have a look at some of the videos on this channel. Do the hard work, especially when you don't feel like it. Mwah.